0: 174 members have recorded their votes in favor of the resolution
1: Over the weekend, Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan lost his job The country's parliament held a vote of no confidence despite his fervent attempts to stop it Has been passed by a majority of the total membership of the National Assembly The new Prime Minister?
2: Shahbaz Sharif the brother of a three-time former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Nawaz
1: Sharif, and himself a three-time former Chief Minister of Punjab. Experience and family connections. But the story of how he got into office and how Imran Khan was removed, there is intrigue, there are allegations of conspiracy, and there is a U.S. president who maybe should call once in a while. I'm Noelle King. That story's coming up on Today Explained. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. Madiha Afsal is a fellow at the Brookings Institution. She's been watching Pakistan carefully, like a lot of people, because a little over a week ago, then-Prime Minister Imran Khan gave a speech before a cheering crowd. He was holding two microphones, and he was speaking in
0: earnest.
1: At one point, he used the words in English, off the record, off the record. Off the record, baat karenge. And then he took a folded piece of paper out of his breast pocket and he made an allegation.
0: di hai.
2: Madiha, what did he say? Khan is claiming that the US is part of a conspiracy to oust him, that the US wanted regime change in Pakistan. The letter he was waving around, he called it a threat letter. But the letter is really a diplomatic cable written by a former ambassador of Pakistan to the U.S. about his meeting with uh, the Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asia. And the letter, Khan says, was written on March 7th, the day before Pakistan's opposition parties filed a motion of no confidence against Khan. But Khan claims that the letter basically says that the U.S. relationship with Pakistan depends on whether Khan stays in office or not. If Khan stays, the relationship will be bad. But if Khan were to leave office, and Khan claims here that the vote of no confidence was referenced, the relationship would be good again.
1: Did anyone actually see the text that was written on this letter?
2: Pakistan's National Security Committee, um, uh, basically the equivalent of the National Security Council, has been shown a text of that letter, but that's that's it. Opposition parties, the public, um, have not seen that letter. And Khan claims it's because, you know, it's government protocol not to share these letters. But there are big questions about what the letter actually says.
1: This is quite a big deal. You have the then leader of a country saying that the United States wants him out of office and has conspired against him. What does the United States say in response to this allegation?
3: The prime minister of Pakistan accused the U.S. of uh working with the opposition to remove him from power. You just said that today. What's the White House reaction?
2: The spokesperson literally said there is absolutely no truth to that
1: allegation. Why was Imran Khan facing this crisis of confidence? What happened?
2: Essentially, the opposition parties say that Khan came into power because he was the favored candidate of Pakistan's military and that they helped him along in the election. And they've been calling for his ouster since 2018. The reason all of this gained traction is because Khan had slowly, but increasingly so in recent months, lost the favor of Pakistan's military. And when that happens in Pakistan, that essentially means that, you know, a prime minister or a government's time can be really limited.
1: How did he come to be prime minister in the first place? What was the root of his popularity?
2: Well, Imran Khan is an was an extremely popular cricket star, internationally renowned. He was the captain of Pakistan's cricket team, who took Pakistan to a pretty amazing World Cup victory in uh, 1992.
3: That's up, up in the air. He's getting of it. This could be a victory. It is Pakistan win the World Cup for
2: cricket crazy Pakistan. You know he was really revered.
3: <laughs> well, Imran Khan is
2: He then went into philanthropy, Um, you know, he formed a network of cancer hospitals named after his late mother that are considered to provide uh, very good care and um, free care for the poor, which is unusual, again, uh, in in, in Pakistan. He entered politics uh, in the late 1990s, kind of refashioning himself from this international playboy that he was to sort of a born-again religious politician.
0: Whether it's a cricket player, businessman or lawyer or anything, it surely has to depend on the individual.
2: And in 2013, you know, his party became the third largest party in parliament. Before that, power had always alternated between two major parties in Pakistan, and Khan's party was not significant.
0: Since he first started his party, pakistan Tehreek-e-Insaf, 15 years ago, he has never been able to draw such large crowds.
2: In 2013, he became a significant force politically and then became a politician and an opposition leader who really became a thorn in the side of Pakistan's major political parties, um, holding huge opposition rallies, clamoring for the ouster of then Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. Uh, Ironically, it's, it's Sharif's brother who has now replaced
1: Khan. What were the promises he made when he was running for office? What did he say he would do? Two major promises. One uh, was to root out corruption.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I assure you that you do not need rocket science here in Pakistan. We only have to correct the system. We have to bring an honest team that is accountable to itself. Khan has railed against corruption his entire career.
0: Despite four governments being dismissed on corruption charges, only few people are held accountable. The rest who are known crooks, get away with it, come back to fight another
2: election. And against the two major political parties that have run Pakistan uh, for much of the last few decades, and then to build an Islamic welfare state was his second.
0: The founding fathers of our country wanted Pakistan to be what was called an Islamic
1: welfare state. Islamic welfare state. What does that mean exactly? Essentially, what he means is, you know, he
2: often looked to uh, sort of Scandinavian countries to talk about, you know, their concept of a welfare state and then linked it to the initial days uh, of uh, Islamic rule uh, in Saudi Arabia.
0: All the policies which we make in Pakistan are towards that end, to make it into a humane country where the government takes responsibility of the weakest section of its society.
1: Okay, so I see why he might be very popular. He's a celebrity, he's brought great honor to the country, and then he's saying, we are also going to take care of people who need care. Did he keep his promises? By
2: and large, while there was progress on some of the promises he made, he was unable to deliver on all the expectations he set up two of the three and a half years that he was in power were taken up by the pandemic. The pandemic is actually one of the places where Khan and his government actually did well. Pakistan has not had the death rate of neighboring India, for instance, and of other countries with huge populations. Pakistan is a country of 220 million. And part of the reason is because Khan said, look, we can't engage in a blanket lockdown the poor will not be able to survive. And so uh, he engaged in what are called smart lockdowns, you know, essentially kept the country going while still shutting down key areas and key sectors, keeping the spread of the pandemic limited while not allowing the poor to starve, essentially. So that's one. He also launched uh, a health insurance scheme, um, started from one province, has spread to others. uh, And while there are problems with its implementation, it's good in theory. But the big thing that Pakistan needs are not these sort of smaller piecemeal schemes, but you know, institutional change, you know, figure out how to uh, shore up, uh, you know, an ailing economy, figure out how to control inflation, to control unemployment. Khan's economic team was not able to do this. So ultimately, it's his handling of the economy that made the, the common Pakistani really upset.
1: Okay, so some promises kept, some not, A bad economy is bad for any leader. That said, Imran Khan was ousted through a legal parliamentary procedure. He was not ousted in a coup. Pakistan has had coups before, and they are inevitably a sign of real instability in any country. The fact that he was taken out through a parliamentary procedure, is that a positive? Is that a good sign for this democracy? It is. And that is essentially the reason he was
2: taken out through a no-confidence vote, becoming, by the way, the first prime minister in Pakistan to be ousted from power through a no-confidence vote. That being said, it's still part of a long history of Pakistani prime ministers never lasting five years in office. No Pakistani prime minister has lasted five years in office, and it's a parliamentary system, not one not one, and only two civilian governments in Pakistan have lasted full five-year terms and handed over power to the next civilian government.
1: A lot of the analysis about what's happening in Pakistan right now focuses not just on Imran Khan and on the man who will replace him, but also on Pakistan's military. And this, I think, raises the question, if we have a democratic country that holds democratic elections, why does it matter what the military thinks about anything.
2: Right. I mean, I can totally understand why this is confusing. Essentially, this is part of a really long cycle in in Pakistan where prime ministers and civilian governments don't complete their terms in office precisely because they lose the support of or they fall out with Pakistan's military. In the past, it's been through sort of other means, right? Coups in some instances, the president dissolving parliament uh, in others. In this case, essentially what the military's lack of support for Khan meant was that the military had become ostensibly neutral when it came to Pakistan's politics. So it withdrew its support from Khan. It gave the space to the opposition. It let the opposition do what they wanted to do to oust Khan.
1: You have a situation in which a week ago, the prime minister of the country whips out a piece of paper and says, a vast international conspiracy is trying to take me down. He did this right before he faced a vote of no confidence. Do ordinary citizens of Pakistan look at this gentleman and say, you are out of your mind. There's no vast international conspiracy. You didn't do good at your job.
2: Pakistan is incredibly polarized right now. So I will say that Khan's supporters look at, at this and say, oh, my God, what he's saying is totally right. This is what is happening. The other side, the opposition parties uh, and their supporters are trying to play this down and arguing repeatedly that there, there is no international conspiracy. But Pakistan has a long history of blaming other countries for what happens in Pakistan and, you know, uh, pointing fingers at the U.S., also pointing fingers at India for what's happening uh, in Pakistan. This really lands.
1: Why, though? India makes sense. Longtime rivalry there and also their neighboring countries. Why is the United States involved in this narrative?
2: It really sort of took hold starting in the the 1980s. When the U.S. was involved in the region with the Soviet Afghan Jihad, the U.S., Pakistan and Saudi Arabia were involved in helping fund, arm, train the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets in what was a covert war for the U.S. and Pakistan, it was very much in sight, and the U.S. left the region. Once the U.S. left the region, Pakistan felt it had been abandoned, uh, and and so there's a blame of everything that went wrong in the 90s was because of U.S. abandonment. Then the narrative that took hold after 9-11 was that Pakistan allied with the U.S. in the war on terror, in helping the U.S. and Afghanistan. And Pakistan saw the blowback of that in the form of terrorist attacks, which killed tens of thousands of Pakistanis in Pakistan post 9-11. Khan really seizes upon this narrative.
3: Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com/explain. That is mintmobile.com/explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/explain. 45 upfront payment required, equivalent to 15 dollars a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mint mobile for details.
1: Support for today explained comes from Ramp. This ad goes out to all the finance professionals looking for love. I'm just kidding. Looking for a better way to simplify business finance across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting and to all the accountants Tired of the same old finance software, RAMP may be the answer you've been looking for. RAMP is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. So, what does that mean? Well, according to RAMP, they give finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. Issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions. Automate expense reporting so you don't waste time. RAMP says its accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time
3: Today,
1: today As we've learned, the U.S. and Pakistan have a history. But back in December, Joe Biden invited Imran Khan, along with a bunch of other world leaders, to a summit for democracy. It was a whole deal. Big names, a town hall for youth, panels on protecting human rights and fighting corruption— China, very explicitly not invited. Russia, very explicitly not invited. Pakistan was invited, but Imran Khan didn't go, which Madiha Afzal Brooking says might have something to do with the fact that...
2: Joe Biden has not called Imran Khan in, you know, more than 14 months in office. You know who had been calling, meanwhile? Putin, meanwhile, called Khan three times since August. And... You know, invited Khan to visit. Pakistan then felt it could not refuse that trip. The Russian invasion of Ukraine was imminent and Pakistan's trip was coming up. Many advised Pakistan's foreign office to cancel the trip. Uh, the foreign office felt it couldn't. Khan ended up being there, um, sitting next to Putin as Putin uh, launched his invasion of Ukraine. Russia's President Putin met Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan in the Kremlin today. And this was uh, the first face-to-face talk since the start of the military operation in eastern Ukraine. You know, no doubt helping Putin in his optics, but hurting Khan. Now, Khan remained sort of studiously neutral on the Russian invasion of Ukraine after that and even during his trip. In recent weeks, the Prime Minister lashed out at EU diplomats asking for public condemnation of Russia.
0: I
3: asked these EU ambassadors if they wrote a similar letter to India. Our country's economy lost $100 billion. I ask, did you appreciate or acknowledge us? Are we your slaves that whatever you order, we must comply?
2: Pakistan's military, on the other hand, just about a week ago now, essentially called it an invasion of Ukraine, which Khan hasn't done, and says...
0: Sadly, the Russian invasion against... Uh, Ukraine is very unfortunate as thousands of people have been killed. Millions made refugees and half of Ukraine destroyed.
2: Adopting a strikingly different stance from Khan.
1: We cannot be responsible geopoliticians without now asking, what does China think about all of this?
2: Pakistan has had an increasingly close, as I said, relationship with China. Pakistan is the home of China's flagship project and its Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, More than $62 billion in investments uh, as part of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. And uh, Khan was in Beijing. In the face of a Western boycott of the Olympics, Khan was at the opening ceremony. So was Putin, by the way. It's unclear how much Beijing is prevailing on Pakistan to stand by its side in uh, remaining uh, very neutral on the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine. And Pakistan says that its relationships with the U.S. and with with China are not zero-sum. But in some ways, Pakistan has had to choose a little bit between the U.S. and and China.
1: Here's what you've told me. We have the former prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, who has now been removed from office. He got paranoid at the U.S. at the same time that he appeared to be getting closer to Russia, which made the U.S. nervous, which made China happy, which made India nervous, which made Pakistan's military feel all sorts of conflicting things. Is it fair to say that this saga that is unfolding is reminiscent of the Cold War era in which you have a country being torn between the United States and, in this case, Russia and China?
2: I would say that Pakistan certainly has felt the tug (laughs) from all sides here. But where this is manifesting is in terms of the political divisions this is sowing in the country. Rather than any outside influence affecting things in Pakistan, it is actually manifesting itself as a rift between the major players in Pakistan, the military and Khan, on foreign policy.
1: The next leader of Pakistan, we've got a guy here who has some family ties, who is a name. What does he need to do differently than Imran Khan?
2: Shabazz Sharif comes into power on April 11th of 2022 with a maximum of a year that he can be in power before the next election. Khan is going to make his life tough. They held massive rallies in Pakistan all uh, over the urban centers of of the country.
3: Security is high after tens of
2: thousands of people across the country answered Khan's call to protest against his removal from office. So the kind of agitational street politics is going to uh, occur. They're saying they don't accept this government. They're calling it a government of thieves, referring to Hmm. the corruption allegations faced by the Sharifs. Shabazz Sharif is actually out on bail.
1: What is it? What is he out on bail for? Corruption charges. So Khan's... Wow, <laughs> wow, wow. This country cannot win. No,
2: it cannot. So Shabazz Sharif has to contend with a very active Khan and a very mobilized opposition. At the same time, he will want to set things up So that the next election runs smoothly for he and his party, because ultimately, this is not about coming into power right now. This is about coming into power in the next election for that next term. So he'll want to set that up he has a formidable challenge in front of him and that's on two dimensions the first and the biggest one is the economy and at the same time he has to deal with this foreign conspiracy allegation that han is leveling at him so if sharif tries to improve relations let's say with the us you know he can have this charge leveled at him that you know look he wasn't part of this conspiracy of regime change so he's going to have to tread pretty carefully But if he's able to set some things right with the economy, he might actually have a a good chance uh, going forward.
1: But after all of this, in Pakistan's constitution, there are no term limits for a prime minister, which means there is nothing stopping Imran Khan from making A Humback. Today's show was produced by Halima Shah, edited by Matthew Collette, engineered by Afim Shapiro, and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.